I, I, I'd like to get started. Um, <clears throat> please, it says, please begin promptly at 10.30. Close at noon. Um, hi, I'd like to welcome you to the workshop on sponsorship. You want me to start again? Okay, we're good. Um, I'm a compul my name is Joe, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, and I'm your moderator for this session. Help us uh, preserve the, and cherish the traditions of anonymity and refrain from uh, taking pictures um, in this or any meeting room. The, uh, the format for this session is a <clears throat> reading to speaker and ask a basket question. A basket will go around the room. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's, that's uh, I guess the papers. Thank you. Uh, and if any, as the speakers are speaking or even before, you can start asking them, uh, ask questions and they'll be able to answer them. Uh, the reading is from sponsorship um, pamphlet. Okay. And it looks like, uh, would you like to come up and, and read this? More people. I think it's just here. Yeah. Okay. Hi, I'm Nancy, compulsive eater and bulimic. Hi, Nancy. Perhaps you. Yeah. Okay. Perhaps you've started to wonder: Am I ready to sponsor? Perhaps someone has asked you to be her or his sponsor. Or perhaps you're already sponsoring but would like the ideas of other OA members who have done the same. There are many approaches to sponsorship, and this pamphlet describes the experiences we've had in working with others. What is a sponsor? As stated in Tradition 5, carrying the message of recovery is OA's primary purpose. A sponsor is an OA member who shares the message and her or his own program of recovery on an ongoing individual basis with another member called a sponsoree. A sponsor works and lives the 12 steps and 12 traditions to the best of her or his ability. For many of us, an important part of sponsorship is guiding a sponsoree through the steps based on personal experience, strength, and hope. A sponsor often helps a sponsoree on all three levels of recovery, physical, emotional, and spiritual. As sponsors, we listen, support, and our understanding. A sponsor-sponsoree relationship as it deepens in honesty may evolve into a lasting friendship. It is important to know that a sponsor's role is not one of therapist, doctor, lawyer, or other professional. Why should I sponsor? While well, having a sponsor is vital to success in OA, being a sponsor benefits us as well. First, Serving as a sponsor helps reinforce our physical, emotional, and spiritual recovery. It also provides an opportunity to strengthen our relationship skills, both with another individual and our higher power. Sponsoring keeps us from isolating and teaches us how to be supportive of another human being seeking recovery. Sponsoring keeps us in touch with what brought us to the program and also reminds us where we might return. Second. As we give back what we've been given, we strengthen our group and the fellowship as a whole. OA needs sponsors, and sponsoring is a privilege to be shared by as many as possible. Finally, we
we make a vital personal connection with a sponsoree. This program is not meant to be worked alone, and many OAs attribute their progress to the fact that someone took a special interest in them. As we share the miracle of this program with our sponsorees, we are privileged to witness their transformation as they journey from isolation to recovery. Our first uh, speaker is uh, Chris from 29 Palms. Um, you'll share for uh, 20 to 25 minutes. Hi, I'm Chris, and I'm a recovering compulsive reader and a sponsor. Um, first off, I can't imagine that I could talk for 25 minutes on anything, but we'll give it a shot. Um, thank you all for being here and coming to this workshop. Um, sponsoring truly has been um, a blessing in my life. The first, my first association with it was with my first sponsor, who got me started off in the right step about 14 years ago, a little bit more than 14 years ago. And um, she was in a particular branch, if you will, of of OA, the How uh, method, and she went. She guided me through the, the first three steps of the program and, and shared my inventory and really got me to, um, you know, add the basics locked down in my program, which um, is very important to me um, still today, that um, the more simple I keep this program, the better it works. If I try and analyze and uh, criticize and and uh, worry about how I'm doing, um, I'm not going to do as well as if I just keep it simple to the, to the basic 12 steps, 12 traditions, um, having God number one in my life, having absence the most important thing in my life without exception. Um, sponsoring is a, is a, is a blessing, uh, not just for me, but hopefully that I have things to share with the people that I sponsor um, so that they know that um, it's not as scary as they might think. Everybody starts at the beginning. Um, I've sponsored several people, and I have to admit that I haven't read a lot of the sponsorship stuff, so I would have to confess that. And, and also that um, there have been times when I haven't had a sponsor. Right now I don't actually have one myself, so that's, that's not a good thing. But also I have to say that in my life that um, God is is my sponsor um, so that if I'm if I don't have somebody physically here to uh, help me I, I always have God and I have people that I sponsor that we also you know share back and forth um, it's important for me to to keep my absence I need to to give to others um, if, if I'm just self-centered and I go to this you know, I go to the program and I, and I get abstinent and, and I work the steps and I have lived this wonderful life and I don't share it with others, then I'm, I'm not getting all the program. Um, it's, it would be a sad way to live. And um, I, I highly recommend sponsoring. Um, and, you know, when I, when I first started, my sponsor was kind of tough. She... She expected me to call her. Well, I thought it was kind of tough, but I always called her. I called her every single day. And 
And then sometimes I wonder, why. well, why didn't she call me? And I have to say that it, as I sponsor, I'm a little more lenient that way. Not that I, I believe that it's the sponsor's um, responsibility to, to call me, but also, you know, if I'm going to show the love that I feel for this person and the caring and the willingness to be the sponsor that hopefully they need, then I'm willing to, to reach out to them and call them as well. And that's worked really well, um, too. But I, it, it's all about instinct and trusting God in how to do this. I, I don't think there's any one particular brand of sponsor. We, we all have a different style of sponsoring. And, and I also need to remember that, too, um, that if if the sponsory doesn't necessarily succeed or my my personal thinking about um, ex, you know succeeding that that doesn't mean that um, they're doing anything wrong or that I'm necessarily doing anything wrong that sometimes um, there are better matches I should never ever feel like if if someone chooses someone else to sponsor them that is some failure on my part because this is not all about me it's all about God. You know, God's in control of this, and the success that um, <clears throat> that the people that I sponsor have is uh, directly tied to their relationship with God and working the program. It's not anything that I have any, you know, magic words to tell them. I just need to be there for them. And um, my sponsors have been there for me and have treated me um, with kindness and love. And the people that I sponsor, um, a lot of times, are so hard on themselves and. Um, I guess that's true about all of us, that we're, we're much harsher critics of ourselves than we are of others. And so um, that's something that I try to, try to share uh, is that it's important to love ourselves so that, we can, um, so that we can be the people that we need to be to other people. Um, unless I'm abstinent and working this program uh, to the best of my ability, I'm not able to be there for the people that I love. Um, I've over the years I mean I've lost a lot of weight I've, I've been overweight since I was a small child I went on my first official diet in 6th grade um, I lost 25 pounds on this formula diet which was really nasty and I could still taste it and when I think about it and I think the thing that bothered me the most was that people treated me differently when I lost that 25 pounds all of a sudden I was like this, this girl to pay attention to and and that bothered me because I knew that I was the same person inside. I hadn't, I hadn't changed, that I was a good person. Um, and so that colored my, I guess maybe favorable, so that colored my idea of, of why people, you know, of how people think of people that are overweight, you know. Everybody is, is a good human being inside, and the outside is just our, our window dressing, and it doesn't make us, you know, what we look like. We're all a work in progress, and... Um, I'm grateful to be able to sponsor people, to watch them grow and change. It's kind of like when you're, I happen to be a supervisor at work, and, you know, some people don't like that job, but I like that job because, you know, you, you get handed a lot of times a piece of clay, and you get to help mold it, or you get to influence it, you know, the person, and and watch them grow and change and, and succeed. And it's, it's kind of like that in a way, although I'm not the one that's molding the person. It certainly is God and, and, the, um, and the willingness for the person to work the program. But 
I, as a sponsor, have to also have something that attracts them. And although I'm not, you know, pencil slim, I do know that in the 14 years that I, I do believe that I have the characteristics that, that I seek in a sponsor, and that's that I'm very um, emotionally stable and serene and. I've grown and changed over the years. I used to be really fearful. Um, you know, I would go to the grocery store, and if I saw somebody, I would make a beeline and go somewhere else so that they couldn't see me. I was always preoccupied with, uh, you know, what I looked like. If I, you know, lost weight, I was sure they would notice, and if I gained weight, I was sure they would notice. And, and really, I don't think people spend near as much time worrying about me as I do, and, uh, you know, <laughs> that's a given. Um, but over the years now, I've, I have been a more, um, I think, a more understanding person at work even. Uh, used to be if someone called in sick, I would think, damn, we're not going to get this done. And now I actually worry about that they are sick and hope they're better. I think that's a lot of progress in the program because I've, I've gotten past that. Um, I still have a tendency to push my way around the supermarket. There's, there's a lot of things that I need to do, and I notice when I drive, if I'm um, if I'm driving along and I'm, I'm going to be late for work or could be late for work, well then I'm you know get that piece of crap car out of my way. You know, and you go, you know, if I if I plan um, plan better and leave on time, and it's kind of like this program. If I take the time to plan. Um, what I'm going to do one day at a time, life goes much more smoothly, and I'm not so, um, I don't get that frustration level built in. So as a sponsor, those are the kind of things that I, that I try to share, that I try to live my life so that um, I can attract others. Um, it, is a, it is a true true gift to be able to sponsor someone, to watch them grow and change, and to watch them in turn sponsor. Um, it's a great relationship. I've got one person that I've sponsored now for probably nine to ten years, and we're really good friends too. And she acts as my sponsor on occasion when I when I need someone if I don't have one at that a formal one at the time. Um, so I, I'm not sure what else I want to say. Um, in um, the lifeline of May 2001, there's a DH. Tumawa from Iowa who wrote Ode to My Sponsor, and if you don't mind, I'd like to read it. It says, Get a sponsor, everyone said. Fight this disease before you end up dead. I can't do this alone. I'm scared and afraid. What will she say? Will I be judged and weighed? Whom do you pick? What will she say? Will she make me abstain day after day? I picked someone out. I liked what she said. I finally asked her. It wasn't so bad. She outlined the program, said, Here's what we'll do. We'll work the 12 steps. See what works for you. You'll have to call me. Listen to what I say. I'll guide you through this day by day. I picked this person to help my recovery, but to my surprise, I made a discovery. She stands by me. She makes me grow. I start to recover. I start to glow. She kicks my butt. She holds my hand. She knows me well. She understands. God has given me a gift beyond reason, someone to guide me through the holiday season. She's tough when need be. She hugs me, too. She dries my tears when I'm feeling blue. She makes me laugh when I look at myself. With the love of a sponsor, I have great wealth. I am so blessed with someone who cares. I'm tight with my sponsor. We make quite a pair. So thank you, God, for the sponsor in my life. She makes me be a better friend, person, wife. 
God bless fosters everyone for giving themselves and the job well done. Um, I never in a million years could have written this, but it certainly touches me. And um, I don't have 25 minutes left to say, so thank you all for being here. Hi, I'm Erin, a compulsive overeater. Hi, Erin. And when Eden um, showed me the different topics that were still open to speak on, um, and the 100-pounder topic was over and closed, this was definitely the one I looked at. To me, sponsorship is really where the program begins. And I loved that, that poem that Chris read, because I think that is true. I don't think I even got a taste of what um, Brotherhood of Man or that concept of um, love without expecting something back until I had a um, sponsorship relationship in the program of Overeaters Anonymous. Just to get um, some of the background out of the way, I came into the program when my son, who will be 17 in October, was about six months old. So I've been around a long time. I came in pretty young, but that's because I was very sick very fast. I, my history is I was always overweight. I have one sister and two brothers, and my sister was referred to as sunshine, and I was referred to as rain. So, rain, definitely. <laughs> I was just talking about so that with someone recently. And that was, you know, that really said it all. Because it wasn't just like I was a fat kid, which definitely that was true. And that happened early. I'm talking like starting at school age pictures, I started getting chubby. And my, and my weight was the biggest deal forever. It was my, my cross to bear. It was everything. But my attitude that was really what was the problem. And, and so there was, although I had that idea all the time that when I got thin, then things would be different, things would never be different because I lived in this rain cloud. I mean, I, I came into a room and I was appalled. I was miserable, and I'm the type of person that I put, I, I externalize my misery. You know if I'm miserable. It's a miracle today that, um, that that is not necessarily so today. But it was uncontrollable before. So when they talk about this being um, a threefold disease, um, so definitely physical. I'm passing around my pictures, and you can see some of these. Um, there's one of me wearing white stretch pants, you know, at almost 250 pounds. Um, that was definitely the physical. That's where the disease took me before I was 25 years old. It's also um, spiritual. I believe that, um, like I talked about in the big book, that I had a spiritual malady. There was no amount of dieting that was going to change the fact that I was devoid of a um, true relationship with God or man, by the way, and then emotionally. Emotionally, everyone I saw, I just, it like it talks about in um, the 12 and 12, how, it's in, how I used to look at people. Most people I ignored. If you didn't directly bother me, you didn't occur to me. <laughs> Not like nothing, nothing. You were just like a share a person. Then there was a large percentage of people that just got under my skin all the time. Just, if you were thin and blonde, that was it. I saw it took. Hated you. Hated Barbie. Hated anyone that looked anything remotely like that, because that's what I wanted so bad. And I could not ask for help. And then there were a few people that, did, that I liked, and I didn't know why, honestly. And I, I was at, a mer at the mercy of those kind of feelings, honestly. At the mercy of those. And... and um, I married into, my husband is one of ten, 
and I married very young, at 20 years old, and I married into, okay, yes, five brothers and, and four sisters, each one of them blonde. One of them is only blonde by a bottle, but most of them are really blonde, and thin, and I, so I hated them. I hated my family I, grew in, I came into, and I came into these rooms, like I said, what, almost 16 years ago? And I came at about 160 pounds because I hated myself at 160 pounds. I felt like a house among the Joyce's. You know, oh, my God. Um, there was a swinging door that opened, like a um, French door that opened sideways like this. And the youngest Joyce, who at that time when I met him was about eight years old, was like, I wonder if she could fit through the door. He said that, and they thought it was so cute, and they're very sarcastic, and it's just the way they talk. But I'm like, oh, I was appalled. And I, I still remember today what he's 22 years old, 25, I don't know how old he is. It's been so many years. That was one of the first times I met this kid, and, I, and it still, like, um, picked me color in my head because that's how I nursed my resentments before. And so I just had, I basically, until I came into these rooms, I basically was of this um, total fantasy that my weight was my big problem. Oh, it was a problem. I, tell, I communicated the fact I had a major problem with anyone I came in contact with because of my weight. But it wasn't just my weight. It was my whole demeanor. I was like, like I said, that rain cloud, that angry person that was never going to ask for help. And um, one of the people, and I always have an enemy, at least one, really major enemy going. And one of my early enemies in my family, um, I had, like I said, my husband has one, he has four sisters. And one sister is a year older than me, and she probably weighs 115 to 120 pounds which, you know, that's thin. And, um, and she looks like Barbie. I mean, she has some Barbie figure. It really looks good. She had a daughter. Her daughter's name is Erin. Can you imagine? She started trying to call her daughter Teresa, her middle name, and it was not supposed to be, she was not supposed to be named after me at all. I met this little girl when she was two, and that's when I met um, Tracy, my sister-in-law. And three, I hated Tracy. Now, I hated her because she was thin. That was enough. But I really hated her because everyone was helping her all the time. She'd bat her little eyes. Oh, I can't do that. I can't put this bicycle wheel on. And they'd all be falling over themselves to help her. <laughs> oh, I can't move this furniture. Oh, she got help. Now, meanwhile, I was the type of person, I would be drowning. I would rather drown than ask for help. And so that doesn't work well in a way, by the way. <laughs> so I came in having topped the scale at 160 pounds again. Couldn't fit in size 12. I had, like, I had gained about 85 pounds with my first son, and I somehow lost it. I can't tell you how because I don't diet well, and, but I did. Somehow managed to, like, get down to a size 12 again, but then I was on my way back up that inexorable climb of, up the scale. My experience with overeating is that when I'm overeating and I don't have the gift of abstinence, I have absolutely no control over my food whatsoever. My belief and my truth is, in step one, if I am a compulsive overeater, and believe me, I am. See those pictures? That's not a mistake. It's not a thyroid problem. Um, I don't have any control over food. I don't have any control over food today, 100-plus pounds down from those pictures. Um, I didn't have any control over food yesterday. I certainly didn't have any control over my food um, at 248.5 pounds or when I came back at 160. So it's not about um, getting control over my food. It's about have, accepting that gift of abstinence. And what it talks about in the 12 and 12, at the beginning of step 12, is that this gift is freely given. It's not like God chose, oh, Aaron deserves it, because if, 
this is what I heard early on too, and it really resonated. If I got what I deserved, I'd have, I'd have less than most of what I have, right? <laughs> and it's not about deserving at all. It's not like God said, oh, he gets it, and she gets it, and the rest of the room doesn't get it. And that's how I sat around here for a while, though. Um, it's not that. But I need to make myself available to receive the gift of abstinence. And that starts with sponsorship. And so I came, like I said, 160 pounds, six-month-old baby, and I tried lots of different diets. I heard a lot of different diet things around here. And I spent three years doing research, gaining weight, sitting in these rooms. I probably asked a series of people to sponsor me in that time. I just, I would call, I would ask them to sponsor me. I don't know if I even called any of them back, even once. You know, I wasn't in any position to be listening to anyone's advice or taking any, the idea of taking direction was so foreign, so foreign. No way was that going to happen. But I was on, um, I was basically getting that research done. I, I learned, I knew I, when I came in I couldn't control my food, and I proceeded to gain from 160 pounds to 248 and a half pounds in the preceding next three years. I was served as a secretary of a meeting two different times, meetings that had to fit in my schedule that were convenient. So that doesn't make me lose weight. In fact, I gained a ton of weight watching you people lose weight. That was really horrible. You know, God, I felt so, I had this, I came from this scarcity mentality, which was this mindset that if you're getting it, then you're taking it from me because that potentially could have been my recovery or, or whatever, and I don't know what. But I had just such jealousy and anger. When I see, I would have saw someone in one of my home meetings lose 100 pounds in front of my eyes, but I couldn't. I loved, that's why I bring pictures. I would always discount the stories of the speakers because I'd be like, yeah, right. She lost 100 pounds? I don't think so. I would believe they're lying. Why would they come and waste their time lying? But it didn't matter to me. That's why I really bring my pictures because it's, it's unbelievable to me. God did that. I come from size 26, and I routinely can go into any store and wear size 8. That's a miracle. And that's one of the, this part of what the miracle that God does. And so I had to come here. I came for, like I said, three years, watched people lose 100 pounds. I'm like, what do they have that I don't have? And I kind of feel like I was that little girl in the, um, that was that Hans Christian Anderson story, the little girl with her nose up to the glass. But she was sympathetic. I wasn't. I was like this. Vicious, you know, oh, I'm sitting in meetings, and I'm like, God damn it, what does she have I don't have? And I kept hearing this, like, sponsorship, sponsorship. And so, like I said, I would ask a series of people to sponsor me, because they kind of had, they were thin. That's what I wanted. I didn't want anything. I mean, the idea of needing to change the way I was thinking didn't occur to me at all. It's not like I did. I did. I'm sure I bought the books, probably read the books. They were nothing to me. It meant nothing to me. But I was getting that research done. I could not control my food. So finally, like I said, about three years into the program, coming to the end of actually all of my dreams, I had a plan for my life, but it ended around, around age 24. <laughs> all of the boxes were just about checked off. I had, um, I had at that point two children. I had one child when I was in program, totally not abstinent, didn't even notice I was pregnant. I was just that big. <laughs> just huge. I mean, I know, knew I was pregnant, but I mean, it didn't matter. I never had any acute maternity clothes, none of that, because I was, was so huge. So I never let my children in any way interfere with my plans. My plans were to finish school, get good grades, and, and there was no end. That was it. I was like, at the end, I, I had overcome every one of those obstacles that I thought God would put on, and yet I had tons of time on the clock left. That's kind of how it happened. And I finally, you know, coming to these rooms, I'm like, 
and I used to be very volatile, too. You may get that idea. I, I mean, I would, I spent all this money on these fake nails. My nails grow so well. I mean, I don't know if you can tell, but they did then. But I, for some reason, I felt compelled to put these fake nails on, which would grow out too much every single week. I'd have to do it every week. And if I would break my nail, I would go through the roof. I mean, screaming, angry, unbelievable. Because I couldn't control it. Just like I couldn't control eating a two pounds of M&M's. And this one person at a meeting I was going to regularly was going through what I considered amazingly difficult times, unbelievable stuff. And they were calm. Like, uh, not unsteady, seemed like had some, something going on. I mean, those things, the things they were talking about going on in their lives would have made me contemplate suicide, all this horrible. Unbelievable. They were calm. And they also had a lot of weight loss. It also didn't hurt the fact that they were, like, ahead of some organization, because I like prestige, too. I didn't realize you don't get much prestige doing service and program at all. But at that time, it like, kind of, like, perked me up, like, oh, that person might know something. And so I asked this person to sponsor me. I would love to be able to say that I immediately got it then, but I didn't. I would call that person. I made some tentative steps. I was given some suggestions. And meanwhile, I kept getting closer and closer to the deadline. I was just about out of school. And the summer before I got, right after I got out of school and I was getting ready to take this huge, big three-day exam, it was probably the worst eating I did in my life. I had, you know, stopped being the secretary at a meeting. I, tend, I sometimes called this person I, at that point called my sponsor and just basically did what, I, what was – they say, I said, there's some literature that says this, do what you can when you can. Well, my experience is doing what I could when I could got me fatter and fatter and fatter. That wasn't going to work. I needed to be under direction, but I didn't know it yet. And so that came the summer of 1990 was some of the worst eating I'd ever done in my life. I gained about 40 pounds from that January to July 1990, and I could not stop eating. And I had sometimes... Without making the decision, I never made a conscious decision to leave program, but I probably hadn't been to a meeting in three or four weeks. And I never made a conscious decision to fire my sponsor, but I hadn't called that sponsor for at least that long. And so I wrote this, this you know, in a maudlin state of, you know, desperation, like, oh, I'm just no good, and I hate myself, and everyone hates me, that, you know, very commonplace for the compulsive overeater and remorse that period of remorse that follows the binge, I wrote a letter to my sponsor and said, you know, how horrible I am and would they consider taking me back. Of course, waiting until after the day after my exam so I could eat through my exam. And shock, I got a call. And we made a date for July 1990. July, I don't know, was it 28th? I can't remember the date at this moment. But anyways, I made a date. And I had such a – it was unbelievable because I agreed to meet at a holiday health spa nearly 250 pounds to go over this program of action that I was finally willing to submit to or commit to or something to. And, and the miracle is I did it. The miracle is I showed up at Holiday Health Spa in, in um, sweats that could barely, you know, stretch past my thighs at that size. And I somehow did 10 minutes on the Stairmaster. Unbelievable. I was got only sheer determination. And then we sat down, and my sponsor gave me um, what I would call the smorgasbord of options. That's what he used, the word he used. What are you willing to do, Aaron? What are you willing to do? I was committed to doing at least three meetings a week. I committed to making a daily call to my sponsor. And I committed to start working on um, an inventory writing. You know what? Now that I look back at it, 
I could have committed to another series of six things. It wouldn't matter. It doesn't matter the what we do. I think I, I think a lot of times I get caught up on that. I certainly had this. So once I had that abstinence, I thought this was the only way. Here's the formula. You must do it my way, too. I mean, that's very common around here. We get that idea. The truth is, it's not dogma. It works whatever way it works. And I think what works is that taking direction. Because that's step one. Step one is surrender. There's no possible way to work this program self-study. It's impossible. You know why? This is why I understand it. Because as long as it's being filtered through this brain, and the disease centers in this brain, how much recovery is going to come out of this brain? None. I'm going to get sicker and sicker. Because I cannot differentiate the truth from the false. Just like it talks about in the doctor's opinion, you know, the well-known stages of the spree. At a certain point, the compulsive overeating life is the only one. I can't tell what's real anymore. The only thing that fills the pain in between all of the thinking of, she doesn't like me, what are they thinking of me, what about me, what about me, what about me, is those moments that I get to have M&M's. <laughs> but that's the, only, that's the only solace in life at that time. And you can't take it away from me. But when I was finally willing to take direction, and part of that surrender was I surrendered to a food plan. I surrendered to going stepping on a scale. I really didn't know how much I weighed. You may think, how could that be? You went to the doctor all those times. I, I buzzed out. One of, the, one of the things that the disease does for me is it helps me stay fuzzy. It keeps me vague. I don't know things when I'm eating. I can't notice. It's just not, I just don't notice. But I did. I committed to going, before I met my sponsor that first day, I committed to going to a commercial place where they have a scale, and that's why I know exactly what I weighed. And I just, for what it's worth, I still today know exactly what I weigh. I weigh in at least once a month because I know what kind of um, amnesia the disease can pull over me. I can live in this pall, this fog, and be shocked. Nothing can fit in my clothes, in my closet, and I will not notice I need weight. Just, that's just the way it is. It's unbelievable to anyone else as a normal person. It's very common for a compulsive overeater. So to share with you, that's, so basically, what is the purpose of the sponsor? I can't begin that surrender until I was willing to trust and to take direction from something outside of myself. And the way um, Dr. or Sam Shoemaker talks about this in AA Comes of Age, and I wish I could direct you to that page today, but basically he says, we don't get to have that relationship with, you know, we don't get an idea of brotherhood of man. We don't begin to commence a spiritual experience until we begin that surrender. And that starts with we begin to rely on someone who seems to be finding the answers in program. That's the sponsor. And we come to shift into that reliance and that belief in um, the power that's behind that sponsor. As it's not like my sponsor of that time was God but the power was flowing through him into me, if that makes any sense. So the five points, and this comes out of um, 24 hours a day, if you look at page 23 of that book, it's one of the meditation books, which is grandfathered in AA literature because it predates reflection, so it's not outside literature. They talk about for sponsoring. It takes five points. The first one is confidence. The second one is confession. The third one is conviction. The fourth one is conversion, and the fifth one is continuance. And I'm going to go through those in my experience. Confidence. Confidence means identification. You know, before I came to program, I tried a lot of different diets. I'm not very successful dieting. I spent the money writing the check to the doctor. 
didn't work for me. I never identified with those people that were trying to give me that answer because it was a medical answer. It was whatever answer. I didn't see the girl at Nutrisystem who looked like she was like 22 and never had a weight problem in her life as a person that could give me the answer. We need to identify first, and that's why they say, why do the stories show up at the end of this book, not this version, but the other version? Why do they have those stories there? Because we want identification. We want the person to be able to say, wow, that happened to her, and that's something like what happened to me, so if she can change, then maybe I can change too. Because until I can actually have hope kindled in my heart, there was no way that I'd considered, you know, letting go of those M&Ms or the chips, or whatever it is for me. Me, M&M's, that's a big thing for me. <laughs> that's a big thing. Peanut M&M's were like one of my major binges. But it wouldn't matter. I'm the type of just a low-quality, compulsive overeater. I like cheap, lots of food. <laughs> that's my type. Because it's really about hurting myself. If I want M&M's, it's about hurting myself. So the first thing I need to do as a sponsor to carry that message to others is to build confidence. That, yeah, it's possible. It's possible. Because it worked for me. And I'm nothing special. I'm nothing special. And um, just to share with you from there is a solution. None of us make a sole vocation of this work, and nor do we think its effectiveness would be increased if we did. We feel that elimination of our overeating is but a beginning, a much more important demonstration of the principles lies before us in our respective homes, occupations, and affairs. All of us spend much of our spare time in an effort which we are going to describe as carrying the message. And for me, I think that's true. I mean, I don't think if I was going to a professional diet counselor, and actually I know this because I tried, it doesn't work for me. I needed, I mean, the fact that someone out of their very busy schedule is going to take time to carve out 10, 15 minutes and talk to me was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And for me, in order to maintain my abstinence, God, you know, basically, by having an abstinence, I'm able to have a life today. A very busy life. I mean, if you look at my calendar, you're going to be like, oh, my God, it's so scheduled. I have three kids, all these different things. The day that I'm too busy to take a call from the sponsee and to make time to, to help another compulsive overeater is the day that I'm choosing death over life. Because my, my main purpose is to carry the message. And the message isn't as limited, although it started this way, this is a little hook. The, the beginning of that message to build that confidence that I never have to eat compulsively over ever again. But I think the punchline is, for me, that if I'm willing to turn my life over to the care of God and my thoughts, my will, everything over to God, then he will remove that obsession to overeat every single day on a daily basis. That's the real message. But I think at the beginning, we need to, you know, hook them in with, um, yeah, we never have to overeat again. I do not have to live in size 26 clothes again. I never have to shop at Lane Bryant again. Those are like the great sexy messages that pull in the compulsive overeater who's still eating. Then we move to confession. This is what talks about this in the big book a lot. You know, a business that doesn't take an inventory goes broke. And a compulsive overeater who works step one, step two, step three, that is unwilling to take a moral inventory is going to relapse. It's that simple. Because until I'm willing to be entirely honest with someone else, it says, and this is true, I'm unlikely to live long or happily in this world. So I'm holding these big secrets in. And so for me, the process of inventory is coming out of the darkness. It's getting into the light. 
I mean, I could not, I mean, I flinched when I saw people from my past before. I mean, maybe five years ago, I, I built up this fantasy resentment of all these people I hated with a purple passion that I wanted to get back. I knew everything about them. They could remember, couldn't even remember me, I'm sure. And those are, even on a decent day, on a day that nothing was actually going wrong that particular day, my mind would flash those up so that I could pull me right back down into a reason to eat. Because that's what the disease always wants, to overeat. It wants me to get back into the food. Uh, my mind wants to kill me. And I don't know, my mind, my disease, whatever. Whatever, it's up here. It's still there. So anytime I start entertaining what I'm thinking too much, it's a dangerous thing. Very dangerous. And so the second part here is confession. My first sponsor gave me um, an inventory guide, which at that time was organized with um, childhood, adolescence, adulthood, and here and now. A bunch of questions. Hard to miss the big points if you're answering those questions truthfully. The big, big ones are all in there somewhere. And I didn't want to look at myself. That was the last thing I wanted to do was to, you know, share these um, secrets, these horrible things I've done with anyone else. And my sponsor warned me that a lot of people get lost in the inventory. We can work step one. We can turn our life over to God. We can make that decision in step three. But then they get lost and they don't complete their inventory. And so needless to say, they don't share it in step five. And then they relapse and out of the program. They go. I told my first sponsor, you know what, don't even be concerned. Because I am so ready to get this going. I was so grateful for that day of abstinence. I knew I was living on borrowed time. My experience also, and just to tell you this, it's not about a food plan. When I work with a newcomer, everyone wants to talk about what are we going to eat. <laughs> you know, what's, what's the food plan? You know, like, oh, it's going to be magical, like no sugar, no bur- whatever, all those things. It doesn't matter what it is. Any food plan is better than compulsive overeating. Because when I am not abstaining, which that power comes from outside of me, I don't abstain because of what I did. I abstain because I'm accepting God's gift that was given to me freely. Okay, so any food plan is going to be better than Aaron overeating. Just choosing on, I know, because I have no power over food. My food is totally unreliable. I have no idea what I'm going to eat if I'm not abstaining. I'm, I'm, liable, I'm liable to do anything. <laughs> Done a lot of it. So I don't talk to many people about food because my feeling is if I'm taking the action on the steps, the natural consequence of working on the steps is that I'm going to get that gift of abstinence. And if I am a compulsive overeater and the person who asked me to sponsor them is a compulsive overeater, then we both have zero power over food, none. And so it's very common and expected that the natural state of the compulsive overeater is to be binging and, you know, whatever else we do. That's normal. It takes what my willpower is for is not to try to control my eating or to try to make someone else try to control their eating, which is a fruitless, fruitless and futile opportunity, totally waste of time. What my job is is to align my will with God's will. That's what the literature says. I take all my effort to try to do God's will. And you know what I can tell you for sure God's will is for me today? But was my way back when, when my sponsor in this abstinence told me, call me at 710 with your food, and I wanted to say, but, but, but I'm on my way to work, but, 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 all these different things. I said, okay. And at 710, I made sure I was on that phone. That's what my will is for. And it says this in step three. It says it's entirely a matter of our will if we're going to follow the direction. But the magic is, is it's all by himself and in the light of his own circumstances, he needs to develop that quality of willingness. And when he acquires willingness, only he can make the decision to exert himself. Trying to do this is an act of his own will. All of the 12 steps require sustained and personal exertion to conform to their principles, and so we trust to God's will. 
So at the very beginning, when I'm a newcomer, and I know nothing about these steps on the wall or wherever they are, if I grab a sponsor and I have that confidence and step in and I do the convince, then I'm going to be willing to take that direction to do the um, inventory, that confession. And then I get such a relief. My experience is I got an incredible relief to get those off my chest, those things that I thought made me the bad person I was. And just a moment more on inventory. My first sponsor shared a lot with me, and one of them was that there's about maybe three stories, four stories, ever, and hearing a lot of inventory. And I've, this has been true, actually, from my experience. There is, um, there is, I'm a victim, and then all of this person's life problem, you know, life story is all around, I'm a victim because, I'm a victim because, I'm a victim because, whatever. Another one is, I'm stupid. I'm stupid because, I'm stupid because. Those ones don't resonate with me at all. Here's mine. <laughs> I am bad because. I'm evil. I'm, I'm the evil one because. And I was able to contort my experiences of my life, which, you know, they're just experiences. I really identify a lot with the lady who um, talks in freedom from bondage, that, you know, it's the... Um, it's not the childhood, it's our reaction to the childhood that makes a difference. Because there's a difference between why in the same family, my sister was sunshine and I was rain, okay? And I was the older child and I was the favorite. So what the hell is that about, right? I had everything. I had kept getting stuff, material stuff, time, effort. I appreciated nothing. Because my attitude was the problem. It was my reaction that was the problem. And so my life story was, I'm the bad one because. I mean, and truth is, a lot of times that wasn't wrong. Um, but in, in the general, that's not, that was not right. And I did, would never, no amount of therapy could ever have gotten me there. And, and, and it stopped that. Never would have happened. I wouldn't even have recognized it. No, you could have told me what my story was and it wouldn't have mattered. It wasn't until I wrote this horrible stuff out that I was like, wow, it's never been them. It was never Cindy. It was never this one. I hated all these separate people. I really did. I hated them. I remembered them. I re everything. And then I realized it was none of them. They were just a backdrop on which I played out my character defects. And so if I got nothing for my first inventory, what a miracle that was to learn. Because then, you know, first of all, people became much more interesting because now I really had to pay attention because it was – not what, who you were, but it was what was triggered. What was triggered in me. And I started recognizing a lot of my character defects. So the confession part is very important. The next one is conviction. By, by sharing with the prospect or the sponsee through this process, you know, some of my defects, my experiences, having them share theirs, then we come to that conviction. Are we willing to turn our will and our lives over to that care of God? And the natural plate, natural, I think the natural consequence of that conviction, that really belief that this is the only way. This is, when I, when I say this is the last house on the block, yeah, that's, that's a cliche, but that is so true for me. I tried every diet. I can't control my food today any more than I could then. I know it, but I've tried. <laughs> I've really tried. I've tried in abstinence. I've tried all these little food tricks, and God thinks how cute she is. She's not going to express. She's going to, you know, no flour. How about this? No wheat for a year. Boy, she should get a star. Um, all this with the punchline was I wanted to lose more weight. Because I really want to be a different size. I really am not happy enough. You know, when I'm focused on myself, which is the disease, there's no amount of anything that I'll get. It'll be enough. There's no amount of um, telling my husband, how do I look? 
And you'll say, fine, good. How about fantastic? Fantastic. Whatever. It doesn't matter. There's no amount. It won't get in. I'll even, sometimes I'll even ask my sons, what do you think? And I look, it's really dangerous. <laughs> That's never the answer. So what's the answer when all else fails? Help another. Get back into helping another alcoholic, another compulsive overeater. The whole purpose is to bring that conversion. The conversion, I think, which is the fourth C in, in sponsorship, is that shift from self-centeredness, which I identify a lot with, so much me, to God-centeredness. And I can tell you, and this is not, this is not untrue, there are many times in a day today when I'm really not even thinking of myself. That was unbelievable before. I only thought about myself. I'm the mother of three sons. And up, even up to five years ago, people would, um, people would ask me, oh, can you speak on Thursday? I'd be like, no problem. Didn't even consider what my, was this on the schedule. Or um, nothing. Didn't even occur to me. And you're like, you have kids? It's unbelievable. And that's how I operated. Because I lived with, I have a husband who's um, long-suffering. And um, he'll handle all my problems. So he'll just like, take up any slack. And... It's only been maybe in the last few years, I rec- not to say I did nothing. I mean, I'm not never true for me. But I only maybe in the last three years came to the realization that, okay, if my life is to be of service, and I learned that here, the conversion, that, okay, the conversion we're talking about is from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. So instead of waking up and saying, what am I going to get and eke out of an existence today? What can I get from her today? Which is really kind of how I was. I thought, what am I going to get? It's really shifted by action into, okay, what are we going to do today, God, to be of service to others? And, that, and that's genuinely what I ask. That's genuinely how I plan my day, almost every day. And it took me several years of, oh, and the fifth C is continuance. It doesn't work. The conversion is not like a one-time, you know, falling off the horse on the road to Damascus. It starts there. I mean, honestly, it's a total shift. It's un. The change in mindset is as, is as dramatic as night and day. It's from rain to something less than rain. I'm not saying I'm like Pollyanna today, but you know what? Much, much different. Much different. But it's continuous. It's not, it's not, I, cannot, I will not abstain today based on what happened yesterday or last week. It's what I'm going to do today. And it's not what I'm going to do today like controlling my food, by the way. Although I do track my food, and I think that's important, and that's part of what um, my surrender is, by the way. So I was told to do that. So I do what I was told. It's not about dieting, though. It's really about continuing to be willing to be of service every day. And that my concept of service has really expanded over time. Maybe that's just to be like maybe three years ago, um, maybe longer, actually. I was told on the same page I write my food down every day. On the back of it, I write two good things or loving things I'm going to do today. And five loving things I'm gonna, I did yesterday, and make three of those family related, because I really I'm a very overscheduled person, and I kind of put my extra time into my family, and there wasn't lots of extra time. And also I'm a very rigid person. I like things to be planned, you know, three weeks from now, a month from now. Kid stuff isn't like that. It comes up. It just pops up, and I, I don't like surprises like that. And so I'd be like, can't happen. Oh well. I'm already going to retreat that weekend. Sorry. I did that when my older son was going to be at the altar server installation breakfast or whatever. I didn't find out until Thursday, and I was like going to a retreat. And I said, oh, well, Robert, you have to take it. But I missed that. I 
totally missed that. That was, he's now going to be 17, so it's been a lot, a lot of years ago. But I felt very self-righteous at that time, very self-righteous, because I didn't know about it. And today, you know what, I'm pretty sure I'd do differently. <laughs> today I realize, you know, the real world, living in reality, part of my service, actually my main part of service, God made me a mother. So don't you think that's my, my primary role? This is not, if you think this should be obvious, but that's how remedial I am. I'm like a remedial case. Actually, that's what I think in these rooms. I think the 12-step process of shifting from self-centeredness to God-centeredness is the remedial course <laughs> of, of, of spirituality. I should have learned these lessons in 12 years of Catholic school. It's the same material. <laughs> but this is like the, easy, this is like the more um, practical approach. You know, other people just naturally do these nice things, and I like to learn that you better do these nice things, or you're going to be an overweight, horrible, unangry, angry bitch. That's who I was. I started, it doesn't even matter why I'm doing good things. In fact, my sponsor, my sponsor would say, you're going to call people. That was one of my commitments. I was willing to take action, so I did it. Over time, I started having genuine interest in other people. It comes, the thinking changes because of the action. So again, um, it's not like a professional sponsor would have helped me. And too much reliance on a sponsor is dangerous too, just as one ending this. My original sponsor, I, I, like I told you, I shared a lot of good stuff from my original sponsor. There's a lot of there was a wisdom there, and I think it comes from God. But there's no, um, there's no guarantee that this will continue. So my original sponsor probably gained 85 pounds and didn't recognize it. My original sponsor went into this like, deep pit of denial, and I became very worried that that person was going to probably die of this disease. I'm probably right, too, actually. And instead of getting, like, sympathetic... I become very angry because I'm thinking it's like scaring my me and my program because the under, underpinnings of my program I felt were like threatened. Like if they're losing it, then oh my God, what's my life? We have the chances of success over the long haul. And I, I think that's what it was, a self-centered fear that made me so angry. And I, and I can't say I handled that well personally. I was just like, you're going to die and, you know, hope you do something about it. And, and that's not a good way to handle it. I don't laugh with anger. I mean, I really feel bad. I couldn't take that nicely. So I can't put too much. It's not like the person. It's the God behind the person. And I have to every day continue my program. Otherwise, I'll have nothing to give to the people I sponsor. And it doesn't diminish my program that someone else falls off either. My job is, you know, to carry that message to anyone that wants to take it and to recognize that this is a cunning disease and no amount of time is any, is any, um, immunity from what this disease can bring us back to. Thank you. Thank you. Um, We now have time for questions. Um, Okay. Okay. Good for you guys.
I'm hoping we can get through all of them, and maybe you guys can take turns or whatever, so we can get through all these questions. There's a lot of questions here. Oh, okay. Um, how many sponsors should I have? I have heard of food sponsors, staff sponsors, inventory sponsors, and maintenance sponsors. Why don't we start with that one? Um, it probably depends upon uh, the area you're in. If you have that many people available, there are some people that that are just food sponsors that aren't willing to um, be step sponsors. Um, so it, I would just you know just pray about it and and uh, you know whatever feels right is, is right. Um, if, if you can get all this in one person, well, it's like only one phone, phone call a day, so that's cool. But um, it's great that there are, are people out there that do, you know, specialize if, um, if that's what you need. So, thanks. Okay. Um, it says, please ask about how your character defects affect or... Um, Something is are affected by sponsorship. Okay, this is something I recently came to. I think I said this. This is not a dogmatic program. It really is whatever works. At very, at, when I first was newly abstinent and I was in that first flush of that pink cloud, I felt like I had it. I had it, and you know. If you were doing it differently, it kind of like, I felt like it was threatening my way. Because my way works. And so I'd love to like battle the people that were doing it different. Like, oh, they're doing it different. And so I took that, felt that took away from mine. And the truth is, whatever works. And whatever works is really obvious, by the way. There's no hiding that. And I've talked to a lot of people that have a lot of credibility in my mind. And they do it very differently. And so I'm very judgmental by nature. And so being a sponsor, that certainly brings that up. I'm like, I don't like that. That doesn't sound good. That's not the way I do it. That's not my job to be a therapist. My, obviously, my answers for running life haven't worked all that great. So it's only when I turn my life over to God that it's been transformed. So, um, so for me, my character defect of judgment has been really challenged by sponsorship. And I, and I don't get to um, – it helps me to just be much more open. Another thing, if my life – if I turn my will and my life over to the care of God every day – it's not up to me to make artificial deadlines and artificial boundaries. Like, oh, I'm going to do this thing with the same person. Every, every, someone, every person I sponsor is going to do this. Every person, I tried this too, very rigid way. So I'm a rigid thinker. It doesn't work that way. Instead, what I do is I ask God, okay, what do, we, what do you think here? And I get inspiration. And so I'm very arbitrary, actually, <laughs> very different with different people. And I feel that's because of God asking that. And I never say, I sponsor only this many people. Because that would be me making those decisions. And instead, and I heard this from someone else, and it really seems to work for me. It's like, okay, if someone asked me to sponsor them, I was given a series of questions, and I asked them to write those questions. And then we meet. And then I ask God, what does he think? You know, what, what is it, does this feel right? And that's how I, it's very much my defects, which are rigid. I like to think my way. I think I know better. All these things have been challenged by sponsorship, and by doing by sponsoring people, has made me a better friend, and certainly a better mother. A lot of better, a lot of things have changed in the way I've reacted because I've learned to sponsor, and I've had to face some of my defects sponsoring. Okay. 
people I sponsor do things differently than I do. What a shock. They should do things my way, right? We're doing it right. It doesn't work that way. It works differently for every different people. That's it. Okay. Okay. Um, did you think you were ready to sponsor when you began? I guess began the program. Began sponsor? Maybe. Or maybe that's what it meant. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. When it says when it says here, did you I think you were ready? I guess yeah. Huh? When you began to be a sponsor, did you think you were ready? Yeah. Huh? When you began to be a sponsor, did you think you were ready? Yeah. Um, I think I was. I think I was. I do think I was because I had um, a certain amount of recovery, which I thought was was something that I could share. Um, not that I still think I'm the world's greatest sponsor. I don't think there is the world's greatest sponsor, but I'm flexible. And uh, it's, again, God's number one in my life, and every day I turn my life and will over to him. And when things, when I'm doing things that, that feel good to me, that feel right, I, I know I'm doing the right thing. So sponsoring felt like that. Sponsoring felt like the thing that I wanted to do. You know, I, I've never asked somebody if I could be their sponsor, although, you know, it's, sometimes you're thinking, oh, this person seems to need sponsoring. You know, I've never asked anybody, but I consider it the ultimate privilege to be able to sponsor someone. If they ask me, I'm just thrilled and let them know that, you know, I'm so um, grateful that God has put us two together so that we can have this relationship and work this program because, you know, uh, this program is all about living your life. It's, uh, I see that. I mean, yeah, losing weight is important, uh, you know, health-wise more than anything. But um, living your life day-to-day free of resentment, free of um, the freedom of, you know, of, of not being afraid of food. I mean, when we're really into the food, we're, we're not free. We're, I mean, we let things rule us, and uh, so when I when I started sponsoring, I did have um, I did have what I thought, you know, I'd experienced enough recovery where I thought that I could be of use to someone else. Okay, um, are you looking for a sponsor? Yes, but. You know, they, they tell you when you're a sponsor, you should have someone who has more recovery than you. And when you've been in the program for over 14 years, it, um, it kind of limits. And I don't know if I'm taking that too literally. When I am attracted to someone else who has something that I want, um, I have gotten sponsors. My last sponsor, unfortunately, died, um, and um, I haven't gotten another one since. So it's not, I'm not proud of that. I think sponsorship is important, that you need to... You need to have one, and you need to be one when you're ready to be one. Um, will you talk a bit about how to know who and how to pick a sponsor? Um, for, for myself, anyway, when I when I picked my sponsor, it was somebody who attracted me with the way they were living. Um, I wouldn't be attracted to a person who was thin but was still, um, you know, uh, wasn't able to get along with um, 
their relatives, uh, had not talked to their mother in 15 years, had, um, you know, difficulties at work, that wouldn't attract me. The person that attracts me is someone who is living their life uh, fully in all aspects of their life and is, um, you know, kind, genuine, loving, caring, um, not perfect, but someone who has what I want. And what I wanted was to be a balanced, not all the way up there and not all the way down there, but somewhere in the middle. And it took a while to get used to um, of being, you know, just moderate and being not having the highs and lows because I was always on my way up or on my way down. I never had the same clothes in my closet for years and years and years and wore them over and over. Um, that's new. I mean, in no way I've had that. I have that recovery, and I'm grateful for that. And then I look for that in a sponsor, too, someone who's um, who is, uh, the words are escaping, someone who provides that, someone who you can confide in who is, um, I can't think of the word what I'm thinking about. Someone who's always there for you in the fact that you can, um, I don't know, the word's just not coming, but but someone who who is always um, their best, whatever that is, or, or the way they live their life is is what you want. I guess I'm sorry, I just not, didn't do very well on that one. Um, greatest challenge in sponsoring um, is is trying not to work a person's program for them. I don't tell them how to, how to eat. Uh, what to do or anything, but there are times when you feel like shaking them up. And I think I'm a little, I'm a little too kind sometimes. Where sometimes I could be tougher, where I could be a little more tough. It, my greatest challenge is if you have someone who calls you their sponsor, but that doesn't treat you like a sponsor. That's 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 a hard thing. Um, do you have a specific way to handle it when a sponsor quits calling you? Um, no. I just, um, I, I've not had that issue as far as, um, as having to confront someone, but I've seen, you know, the, the people that still, um, that still stay in the program and they work with other people, that, that, that part's taking care of itself. For the people who have gone outside of the program, you know, I still pray for them daily and, um, and I call them. So that's it. fear of asking for help. Well, to me, a lot of weight gain certainly did that trick. Seeing people get it, lose weight, and one of the things they have with the sponsor that they were working with, you know, then I was willing to ask for help. How do I ask for a sponsor? And then, what are my responsibilities to my sponsor? Well, I really think the way you ask, the way I've ever asked, I've had several sponsors in program, and it really is that humiliating humbling, mm, can you help me, to share with you how it worked with my third sponsor. My second sponsor moved out of town. I mean, she's like, I'm putting my house on the market, and six weeks later, the house was sold and she was gone. And then there were several months of, like, not really having a sponsor. That was just nightmarish. 
So finally I asked someone at a regular meeting I had if they would sponsor me. I said, Liz, did you sponsor me? And it was very hard after 10 years around to ask someone to sponsor me. And she's like, well, maybe on a temporary basis until you can get someone. And I said, you know, I can't imagine anyone in this program I can ask to sponsor me right now. <laughs> you're the only one I would trust right now unless you're just going to say no, whatever. And just that mean way, because I was so desperate. You'd think I'd be sympathetic, but I wasn't. <laughs> and um, she's like, okay, let's try it. And so she sponsored me for a long time. And recently I have a um, new sponsor. And you might think, oh, did I ask that person to sponsor me? Oh, I was calling this person for several years on a daily basis. <laughs> I never asked her to sponsor me. <laughs> I just like calling her constantly, every day, with my food. And not that my other sponsor was gone. It's just like I was doing this transition type of thing. And finally, several, I mean, just recently, and this is after two or three years of calling on almost a daily basis every week, every weekday. And she just loves to talk. She has all this time. I figure she has time for me, whatever. And I finally said, well, do you mind if I call you my sponsor to other people? <laughs> so that's just a, I'm not a good one to ask of this. I'm not very straightforward. My responsibility. My responsibility is to make my phone call. And um, what I tell people that call me is that um, if we make a definite time, my responsibility is to be available at 610 or whatever, and you're, 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 you're responsible to make the call. So I get half of my program from sponsoring. And so if that call is going to consistently be not made, then I'm going to fill the spot with someone that's going to call me because I'm working my program at 6, 10 in the morning, and it's not – if I wanted more time to do my hair, I would, I would change my schedule. Right? Okay. Do you give sponsors a formal structure? I was given a structure. I'm not good on my own, like, you know, free flow. So my well, it was very helpful to me to be told to call me at 710. This is with another sponsor I had. Call me at 710. Call in your food. Write it down before you eat it. These, like, things were unbelievable to me. I like things to be loose and fuzzy, like my disease does. It's not good for me. So my part of my job is to share what was my experience. My experience is, okay, in the morning you write down your food. I keep my food in a steno pad. You want to keep your food in something that you can look back on because if you have a great 30 days, and things are going well, you want to be able to look back at that and see how, what worked. You don't want to be just scribbling on pieces of paper and then wonder what was happening. We love to be fuzzy. So I share the same structure I was given to work for me. I don't think I'm, uh, I don't know if I'm tough or not, but I mean, I'm not someone you want to call as your therapist, that's for sure. <laughs> that won't work well. <laughs> I just won't. I'm not, but naturally, I'm not that type of person. I'm sure there are people more like that. And I could just, my experience is when I'm in that midst of like really upset about something, the last person I call is my sponsor. The last person. I don't want direction then. I want to be able to complain and be upset. And talk to us like an always friend's job. So listen to me for a few moments. And then I'll, then when I'm at the end of my rope and I need some direction, that's when I call my sponsor. How do I find a truly abstaining sponsor, underline truly, who has worked the steps if there are very few long abstainers who do the steps who are available in my area, they say go to any length. So if I'm going to be wearing size 26 because there's just no available sponsors within five miles, then I guess I'm going to go farther for my meeting. I would because I'm really more abstain personally. And I have a sponsor that's now wholly out of my area, and I'm happy to go drive an hour and a half to go say hello and bring her to lunch or whatever. Because we'll go to any length. 
Not, I mean, so I changed my phone bill. I, phone, I changed my phone service so I can make long calls without any problems because I'm willing to go to that link. What happens when you're sponsoring someone who does not like or will not do your suggestions? I got this from someone with a long time. I don't, I'm not here to like tell, I'm not your mommy. Not to do my way. That's why I just like, son, you would do it this way. Um, but <laughs> whatever, either you're going to do it or not, it doesn't affect my program, how you do your program, right? So what I would suggest is that we keep asking questions and say, okay, why don't you write about what you're looking for from me in the sponsor and what you really want? No, no, don't talk to me now. Write it and we'll talk tomorrow at 710 or whatever our deal is. People that don't want to work the program or aren't ready don't want to do a lot of assignments like that. So they just naturally go away. That's just what happens. It's nothing personal. Nothing personal. And what I do is if someone hasn't called for a long time, and this is what I was told by my sponsor, during the middle of the day when I don't expect them to be home, I'll call and leave a message. I haven't heard from you in a while, and I really hope you're working with someone, and, you know, hope to see you in a meeting soon because then that's completion. So I don't have to have any twinge of when I see her in the meeting, you know, what's going on. You know, it's just complete. Nothing personal. People move on all the time. There's as many people in program as many people in sponsors. So they don't have to do it my way. Nope, get off my nose. There's going to be a, just opening space for someone else. And what do I tell sponsors who are working a good program but are not losing weight as fast as they'd like? Well, my experience is when I'm abstaining from compulsive overeating, my body gets to about this size pretty fast. I lost, in about ten and a half months, I lost over 100 pounds in my first abstinence. And when I had gained about 35 pounds in my, um, my relapse two years of not having solid abstinence, that I got abstinence in January 1997, and I was back in my clothes by April. So my experience is when I'm really not compulsively overeating and I'm abstaining from compulsive overeating, the weight drops off. And so I would look at the honesty level. Truthfully, I would. But I do believe that there are... There are consequences to overeating for long periods of time. And so I know, I mean, I'm not wearing any bikinis anytime, ever. I don't, there's no way it's happening. <laughs> there's things here, okay? There are consequences for being overweight, like I was for as long as I was. There are things that maybe surgically I could do. I don't know. I'm not interested in that. I'm married 17 years. I don't need that. But you know what I'm saying? There are consequences. And so one of the consequences is maybe I'm not going to get to the size that, in my mind, is the right size. So maybe that's something going on here, too. I don't know. But truthfully, my experience is the more I work the steps, the weight does come off. Okay, now is the time to, uh, probably time, unless there's any other last questions that came up. Um, now is time to close the workshop. Please join me in a moment of silence. And, and we'll say the third step prayer.